Well, I'm struggling getting off this morning. I, uh, I looked down at my Bible, what I thought was the last song, and my notes weren't there. That's like the equivalent of any Vente drink over at Starbucks to get your heart going. And then I came back, and it wasn't the last song, so I'm just excited about the message this morning. You know, I, I know that I can sometimes be a little bit of a heavy hitter in the, the pulpit, just kind of more intense and different things like that. And, you know, to be honest with you, when we come into the Christmas season, I try to, in my mind, at least in planning, like, you know, we need to kind of turn it down a notch, you know, for Christmas and different things, you know, be a little gentler. And then we pick this passage to focus on, uh, the word became flesh, right? That, that was not a light message. And then it dwelt among us that Rich did last week. And then today we're talking about the glory of God. That's not, you know, really gospel light either. And then grace next Sunday. So, yeah, um, yeah, get, strap your boots on this morning. We're going to go. Uh, so we're, we're in John chapter 1 if you want to open up there. And uh, as I was thinking about this idea of glory, I think sometimes that we use that word in the church. We talk about God's glory. We talk about giving God glory. But maybe we don't really know what that means. And I thought about uh, one of the top five greatest movies of all time. And you can disagree with me here, but you're wrong. <laughs> and that movie is The Princess Bride. And okay, there we are. We can safe ground there. So in The Princess Bride, there is this uh, scene where Wesley is gaining on uh, the, the criminals and uh, the Sicilian bad guy keeps saying, inconceivable. <laughs> and finally, he's called out by this line, which I just think is great. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> <coughs> and we use the word glory. And what I'm saying this morning is, I don't think it means what you think it means. And part of that is because it's a really big word. In one sense, in the Old Testament, they set up the tabernacle and God's glory shines down and shows up in flame and smoke. And then in the other sense, God's glory, it says, Paul says, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all you know, for glory of God. Well, according to flame and smoke, and what does that mean? So this morning, we're going to dig into what it means, God's glory being revealed means. And we're going to look at that in three ways. The meaning of glory, uh, the glory revealed, and then the glory that we give God. Now, I'm really fired up this morning, but my voice is fighting with me. So I'm going to try not to, I'm going to try to talk softer so I can go the distance. My wife said, are you going to be okay? I said, I don't know, we'll see. Um, So John chapter 1, what I'm going to do is, uh, even though we're really just focusing on verse 14, uh, I'm going to read 1 through 18. (coughs) And what I would like for you to do is when we get to verse 14, I would like you to join me and read it together. John chapter 1, this is the ESV. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the one Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he who was before me. For from, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Thank you, David. Glory. What does it mean? There's a few things that we can see, uh, just note in this passage. First of all, we can see him. Um, when it talks about glory here, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. We've seen the glory of God. Now, we talk about here um, these hyperlinks that are in the Bible, and we describe a hyperlink this way. There's times when the writers are trying to help our minds remember something that happened earlier in the story. And I say we're only on John chapter one, but it's, it's John one starts in the beginning. He's taken us all the way back to Genesis. And so there's a hyperlink here of a story that John wants you to kind of have in your mind. And the story is from Exodus. And God gathers his people together. And through Moses, he says, you know, I want you to build tabernacle for me that I may dwell with you. And, you know, just casually, God is saying, hey, I want to hang out, so let's build this tabernacle. Now, in Exodus, and those of us who are doing the, the reading through Scripture, right, this is a tough part of Exodus because you get to this point and God says, here's how I want you to build the tabernacle. And it's just chapter upon chapter of describing this. And then when you get through that, then they build the tabernacle, which is really just going back through everything God just says and telling them how they just did it. And so it starts in Exodus 25, where God says, I want you to build this so that I can dwell with you. And then in Exodus 40, it's done. And it gets all put together, and the glory of God shows up in flames and smoke and big thing. And Moses can't go in there. So he says, look, he says, I want to build this so I can hang out with you. They build it. Guess what happens? We can't hang out because of my glory. And so now, think of the verse here. John says, 
Jesus came and what? Tabernacled. That's what Rich dealt with last. He came and tabernacled with us and we see his glory. Here we get to see it in the person of Jesus. Not only can we see it, but we can know him. (coughs) We can know him. Now it's really interesting. John in this passage says, look, Jesus came into the world, his own own creation and his own people didn't know him. They didn't receive him. But then he says in verse 12, "But but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There were those who got to know him. So we see him, we know him, and then we also have the opportunity to proclaim him. Jesus is the glory that we're speaking of here. And Jesus, we can see him, we can know him, we can proclaim him. John came and proclaimed him. John, verse uh, 15, bore witness about him. So what is it? What is God's glory? How do we define it? Um, the Old Testament word for glory, it, uh, it means weighty. In fact, there's a, I, I think I need to point this out. There's an Old Testament story where there's a bad guy who's really big. And I think it's in Judges, and they go to, they go to the judge goes to kill him, stabs him, and he loses the, he loses the knife in the guy's belly because he's glory, glory. He's, he's weighty, weighty. But uh, defining that in other terms, what does God's glory mean? <clears throat> As I was preparing for this, um, I, I instantly thought of an author and pastor, John Piper. If there's, if there's a topic that John Piper wants to talk about in every sermon, it's God's glory. And so I went to John Piper and I found a sermon of his on God's glory. And here's what John Piper says at the beginning. This guy's written over 50 books. They, I, I, could, I can almost guarantee every one of the 50 books has the word glory in it. And he starts off like this in his sermon about glory. Defining the glory of God is impossible. Well, thank you. <laughs> that is not helpful. He said, I, he goes on to say, I say because it's more like the word beauty than the word basketball. And he, and he talks about that. He said, if I had to describe a basketball to somebody who has never seen a basketball, I could probably do it. But if I had to describe beauty to somebody who had never seen beauty, I don't know if I could do it. It's hard to describe what glory is. Now, he is a theologian, so he goes on to say, the glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. Doesn't really roll off the tongue. Kevin DeYoung said, we glorify God when we throw a spotlight on how great God is. Hmm, It's beautiful. To to glorify God is to make much of him. (coughs) To glorify God is to magnify the greatness of his character, not as a microscope magnifies by making small objects look large, but as a telescope magnifies 
by giving us a glimpse of things that are unimaginably too big. To glorify God is to honor his worth. So I wanted to give us a definition this morning that we could grab a hold of. So on your notes, this is my definition kind of summing that out, summing that up. Glory, God's perfect character put on display. God's perfect character, who he is, put on display. When we see God's, now, when it shows up in the tabernacle, that's who God is put on display. But also, God's glory is put on display in many different ways. As Alejandro described, that's giving God glory on a school board, right? That's that's awesome. So the blankets, let me just tell the story because this is glorifying to God. Um, Tom was sharing, Tom Books was sharing with Rich a little bit about his testimony. And Tom said, I didn't really, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up going to church. He said, the first time I ever heard about any idea of Jesus in Christmas was when I went to a relative's house who had a TV. The second year was out, we watched the Charlie Brown Christmas. And when Linus talks to me, he said, that's the first time I ever heard about another meaning of Christmas. And so uh, that's a special little 20-minute cartoon to him, isn't it? Now, he had a long ways to go before he realized who Jesus was. But God planted a seed in a cartoon that he saw on TV. Now, I can't remember the scene. I have to go back. It's been a long time since I've watched it. Um, But, you know, when Linus gives that speech, I can't remember if he's holding his blanket or if he puts it down. But I think he puts it down for that scene. And Rich is going to talk about sometimes if we're going to proclaim Jesus, we got to let go of our comfort. What a powerful little illustration, right? And so, you know, I know when, when David said, you know, we're dismissing the kids to go watch a cartoon, you go, oh, jeez. That's not what's going on. And so we want to make sure that God's glory is put on display, not just the big things, but in the little things. God's perfect character put on display. So how does God reveal his glory to us? Now, this is by no means an exhaustive list. Uh, we, we just couldn't do that. But here's a few ways that God reveals his glory to us and for ways for you to look for God's glory being revealed. Number one, God reveals his glory through creation. In fact, Psalm 19, we're going to look at it again in just a little bit, says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So if we go back to our definition, God's perfect character put on display. God is a creator. And when you see the sun rise, his character is put on display. When you... When you walk in the woods or by the ocean or whatever, near the lake, whatever it is that just really lights your, when you go, wow, this is beautiful, that's God's glory put on display. It's his character. And so we don't have to look very far to go, man, who is God? Second, God reveals his glory uh, through man. God created us. And, And we are 
created in his image. Now, that image is marred because of sin, but who you are, how God's made you, how God shaped you, is to his glory. Now, this passage, and what I, I hope that you hear this morning, more than anything, God's glory is revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. You, you, can't, you can't get any closer to the glory of God except through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I encourage you guys to read God's word, and we read through the Old Testament, the New Testament, and one of the things that we, we ask around here and when we meet in groups um, guys I meet with, I ask them to ask these four questions. <clears throat> the gospel framework. Framework: Who is God? What is he doing? Who am I? What am I called to do? So when we, we read scripture, when we look at Jesus Christ, we say, who is he? What is he doing? We don't start with us. We don't start, we don't read the story, okay, of David and Goliath and go, oh, I'm David. You're not David. Okay? I was, uh, I posted this morning on Facebook, some of you saw it, I, I posted, preaching on the glory of God for the glory of God. That, that was my, and one of my preacher friends sent me a link to uh, just a really, I hadn't seen the story. If you go, go to my Facebook page and watch this about 20 minutes, some of the stuff's going to come out because it just really fired me up this morning. But as a preacher, Matt Chandler was preaching on the glory of God in a setting where it really wasn't very well received. It was kind of a, a different type of church growth program, and they didn't really like the fact that he kind of emphasized the glory of God, so they tried to kind of put it aside, and his sermon has like over 100,000 views on YouTube. So it kind of got people's attention. The glory of God. And in that, he says, you're not David. When you read about the, you're not, you're not Abraham. It's not, that's not the part of the story that you're in. But God is glorified through us, through the person of Jesus Christ. Another way that God is glorified, God reveals his glory through redemption. Through redemption. Now, let me just read this to you this morning. You can turn there if you want, but most of you know it by heart, so it's okay. Those of you who've been around for a while. Psalm 23. You say, how does Psalm 23 fit into God's glory? I could just jump to the end, but it's Psalm 23, so. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's so many things that the psalmist says, God is doing for me. God is leading me beside still waters. Why? Because he loves me. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? Because he loves me. 
Through the valley, uh, uh, the, the valley of the shadow of death, he prepares a table. Why? Because he loves me. He anoints my head with oil. Why? Because he loves me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Why? Because he loves me. No. He says in verse 3 why he does it. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. For his glory, not yours. For his name's sake. The whole redemption process, what God has done, what he has brought you out of, is not so you can say, look at me. It's so that you can point to God. God reveals his glory, fifth, through the church. (coughs) Ephesians, let's try that again. Ephesians chapter 3, we have it here on the screen. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. When we talk about church, when we talk about budget, when we talk about ministries, when we talk about vision, when we talk about youth and children, we say, I want to do this for the glory of God. And I really believe that. I believe we do. I think we argue about what is going to bring God more glory and how we do that. But I've never, I've never been in a discussion where people don't want to bring God glory. But sometimes the discussions we have are not God-honoring glory. And so we, we want to, as a church, bring God glory. In, in one of the uh, commentaries I read, uh, the author referred to the Heidelberg, uh, Heidelberg Catechism. And I'm not familiar with that particular catechism, but he said it's broken up into three main areas, and I like this. So God is glorified through redemption. God is glorified through the church. And here's the story that the church has of redemption and it's just a catechism broken up into three parts. First of all, guilt. We're all guilty. And I, you know, I, I know that we know, those of you who are bound in the church, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. But I don't think we honestly understand the depths of our sin. And John points it out here. And listen to what he is saying very subtly. Verse, um, verse six, um, excuse me, verse, uh, verse nine. The true light, speaking about Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And then he reminds us, and the world was made through him. In fact, Paul says in another place, nothing that was made, not not one thing that was created, was made without Jesus Christ. Everything was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. Now know from our point of view, from a Western point of view, is very 
head-based. They didn't know who he was. I didn't, I, didn't know, I didn't know. I didn't realize. But from John's point of view, know is much more relational. It's not that I didn't head knowledge. It's that they didn't heart knowledge either. They didn't know him. You see, that's offensive. Okay, dads, moms, in a sinful moment, maybe you didn't. But some of us uttered these words. I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. Or a version thereof. I was even meaner to Kirsten. She was adopted. And so I said, I know where I got you. They have others. (laughs) There's just different versions of it. God created us. And creation says, I don't even know you. I want nothing to do with you. I don't know that there can be a greater sin than that right there. So we have all sinned. We've all turned our back on God at one point in time. There's guilt. The second part of the catechism is about grace. God saves us from our guilt by his grace. What this passage is emphasizing, if you want to know the glory of God, look at Jesus And when you see Jesus, what you're going to understand is grace. What you're going to understand is everything that you get through Jesus, you don't deserve. And you don't get what you do deserve because of grace, because of God's mercy. Now, that should bring in us an attitude of gratitude. Because we are guilty and because of God's grace, it should bring us to a point of absolute gratitude. You know, here's the thing. Some of you would say, uh, in a, a Western point of view, American point of view, uh, we pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps. I don't have a bootstrap, but you understand what I mean. I worked my way up. I went to school. I I earned my, I did this. I earned this. I made this. I am this. Do you understand your gratitude is really self-glorifying? There's nothing more that we want in this world than to be a self-made. We're not. You are where you are because God placed you there. Nothing you have I just don't buy me. I know some people work harder than others. It's great. And all of this, we could add a fourth, should bring glory to God. Guilt, grace, gratitude, all of it should be pointing to God. So how uh, God's glory is his perfect character put on display. We see it in creation. We see it in his Creation, man, we see it in Jesus Christ, redemption, the church. How do we glorify God? You know, in one sense, how do we put God's character on display? How do we do that? We glorify God by participating 
in the church. If the church brings God's glory, then we get in there and participate in it for the glory of God. Here's some different ways that we as a church glorify God. Worship, it's an easy one, no brainer, move on. Here's a harder one, giving. Giving. You say, better back that one up. So I am. By their approval of this service, he's talking all about giving there, in chapter eight, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. God's glorified when you give. Man. And we could talk all about Sabbath and all about giving. It's the point of where we say, this isn't mine, it's God's. And I'm going to trust him. We glorify God through purity and holiness, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Prayer, right? When, when Jesus says, you know, uh, pray in my name, it's not, he's not trying to give us a tagline. I don't know, I grew up, you know, you couldn't end a prayer unless you said, in Jesus' name. But the whole idea of in Jesus' name was not a tagline, but that we were doing it in the will and the purpose and glory of God. All things, everything that we do can bring glory to God. We glorify God by participating in the body of Christ. And I would say one of the hardest ways to glorify God is participating in the body of Christ. It's not because we don't want to glorify God, right? But we don't always, like I said earlier, don't always agree on how we can most glorify God. Mike used to always remind me, let's, let's not forget people went to war over this stuff. <coughs> right? Jonathan Edwards was kicked out of his church because of the way they set up communion. There's all sorts of things that we're willing to say, man, this is it. This is, this is where God is. This is the thing. And yet one of the ways in which we glorify God is by how we love each other. Second, we glorify God by being who he created us to be. Now, that's a really broad statement and understand when I say who he's created to be according to his word. I'm not saying I get to define who I want to be. What I'm saying is God has made you unique. He's placed you in a certain place, in a certain time, in a certain family. And most of us spend most of our time going, why did you make me like this and put me here? And why do I have to do this? And why did you put all these people around me? And I look at other people and I go, did you notice their situation, God? Have you seen their family? Did you look at their resources? And, and you go, man, I wish I had that. And God says, I love you. And so I put you right where I put you. That's sometimes hard for us to wrestle with. For, for my glory, I put you right where I put you. That's hard. But God's doing a work in you, not so that you go, woohoo, but so that you go, woohoo. And God has made you and He is shaping you into His image. 
And I don't know about you, but sometimes we just really wrestle with that, who God has made me. Maybe it's just me. Third, we glorify God through gratitude. Uh, Psalm 50, 22, uh, up here is, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. Listen to that again. You come to church, say, oh, the pastor's gonna talk about money. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. The one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Maybe we just need to to pause in the busyness of our schedules and just really thank God for what he's done, who he is, where he's brought us. Now, the last thing I I, um, wanna touch on just, oh, I've got two things, sorry. Number four, we glorify God through enjoyment and care of his creation. Um, Yeah, we need to get out more, not on Sundays. Here's another verse again, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. We just need to to enjoy what God has created. Fifth, uh, we glorify God when we seek our worth through him. (coughs) Excuse me, snuck up on me. Um, If you have your Bibles open, turn over to John chapter 5. Some of these themes keep working themselves out through the book of John, which is not really our hope here. Um, Jesus is speaking in verse 41. And we could go back through all of that, but it's just too much. But I just want you to pick up on this. Listen to Jesus. I do not receive glory from people. This is God. Jesus is saying, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. You can hear John chapter 1 here, right? He came to his own. His own did not receive him. He says, if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Um, For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me. Look, Jesus is saying, here's why you have trouble giving me glory. Here's why you have trouble. Listen, church, this is to us too. Here's why you have trouble receiving me. Here's why you have trouble bringing glory to God because you're all running around trying to get your own glory. You're all too busy trying to have somebody tell you you're doing a good job, for somebody else to pat you on the back, for somebody to notice you, acknowledge you, point you out, lift you up, say thank you to you, say good job, aren't you great? You are wonderful, beautiful, just the way you are. And he says, stop seeking that glory. You don't need it. 
You want it, you don't need it. Give glory where glory is due, and God deserves the glory. You say, well, what about me, Dave? Doesn't God love you? Yes, right? We just read Psalm 23. He brings you out. He brings you in. He gives you eternal life and righteousness, and then he reminds you, I'm doing it all for my name. If you grab one thing, from the message, and I've said it before, but it it needs to be repeated. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's his story. It's about God. It's not about you. So what's the application God's glory is revealed. Receive it with gratitude. You know, as we talk about Christmas, we talk about let's keep, you know, Christ in Christmas, and that's wonderful. Um, But here's the thing. Let's keep God's glory, like, year-round. It's not a seasonal thing. Like, it's wonderful if you want to fight the man and say, hey, we need to keep Jesus in Christmas. Good for you. But I'm just telling you, there's 365 days of the year where God needs to be glorified. It's not a seasonal thing. This is not a two times a year deal. This is every single day God's glory should be put on display. And when you receive it, when God does something good for you, give God the glory. When we have an opportunity to say, man, this is what God is, give God the glory. Reveal it with humility. Um, John came and we hear his humility in his statement. Here's the thing, if if you're just ever curious. Other than Jesus, the Bible actually tells us who the greatest person in history was. It says it right there. John the Baptist. Number one. If you were trying to get the t-shirt, John already got it. Number Number two, really, right? He was it. As, cl- as close to it as you could get. It wasn't Moses, it wasn't Abraham. It was actually, Jesus said there's nobody like him. He excelled. He's it. He's number one. And John turns to us and he says, you know what? I'm not even, I'm not even worthy to unclip Jesus' sandal. Now, let me just, that sounds like he's just kind of saying something. What, in society, okay, the slaves might undo Sandal. In Jesus' day, there was a rule. If you were a Hebrew slave, you, you, were not required, you should not be required to do that. That removing the sandal, even of a slave removing the sandal, of his, that was too belittling for him. And so John puts himself below slave level. That's humility. And he says, the greatest man in the world says, there's somebody greater than me. And if you look and you read about John the Baptist, his whole ministry is this. Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. That's how we bring God's glory. We reveal him in humility. 
And as we look at God's glory, as we look at his grace next Sunday, as we think about this idea that he tabernacled among us, that he took on flesh, you know, these are, these are weighty manders, pun intended there. These are big, these are huge ideas. And yet as a church, we have the opportunity just to rest in who God is. And some of it I go, man, you know, I was just, you know, I said that John Piper uh, wrote over 50 books. I, I think he's 60, he's, I think he's 70 now. 50? I mean, wow. That's, that's impressive to a guy like me. I mean, what is that like? I mean, it's, it's more than a book a year. Come on, that's insane. Why didn't he start writing him like 10 years before he was born? I'm sorry, jealousy pouring out here. John Piper goes, man, can't even explain God's glory. It's too big. Listen, some of the stuff is weighty and it's heavy and we just rest and we go, man, God, you're awesome. And that's giving him glory. So this Christmas, when you think about the lights on the tree, you're reminded that the light came into the world. When you celebrate around a table, you know, with whatever you're having to eat, with whoever you're spending time with, you're reminded that, that God came and, and lived with us. He tabernacled with us. When those little kids, your grandkids and your kids and your nieces and nephews, when their eyes start going like, like that, when they're opening the prayer, you've seen it. You're reminded that God's glory is unthinkable. It's unimaginable. It's life-changing. When you go to bed and you feel like, man, that was a really good day. I didn't have to go to work. I was around people I enjoy. The kids didn't wear me out too much. And I want you just to think for a minute, what's heaven going to be like every day? When we have the day-to-day enjoyment of living in the glory of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and how it moves us towards uh, and closer to you. Lord, we recognize that we... um, are all sinners, that we have fallen short of the glory of God. But because you love us, you demonstrated your grace through us by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. That we might have hope and salvation and eternity through you, through faith. That as we repent of our sins and draw closer to Jesus Christ, we are brought into relationship with you, to all who received him. God, we, we appreciate that, and we, we, are, we are grateful. And God, may that story, may that life-changing event be the thing that brings you glory every day as we tell other people about who you are as a church and as individuals. We talk about your glory for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.